that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He says this in the opening verses of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, Paul's main point here is not necessarily to teach about baptism, but he is showing us the meaning of baptism as he teaches here in Romans chapter six. He's showing us why we do this, what does it signify, why is it such a big deal, isn't it just something you're supposed to do? And the first thing he shows us that baptism signifies, number one, is that we are dead to sin. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, may it never be. Richard Phillips translates that as, what a ghastly thought, which I read in a British accent in my own head when I hear those words. I'm not gonna try a British accent because I'll butcher it, but it, it doesn't make any sense. Because he said, and, he, and then he quickly backs it up and he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And what I love about that phrase, by the way, how can we who died to sin still live in it? The word for died there, elsewhere in the New Testament, has been translated as the word drowned. And then he goes on to talk about baptism and being immersed in the waters of baptism. And this connection begins to be drawn of what baptism is showing us. That when we are immersed in the water, when we go under the waters of baptism, we are signifying and declaring that we have died to sin. I said a few weeks ago, and it's worth saying here again today, Jesus died for our sin. We are now to die to our sin. Jesus died for sin, and we are united with him in his death in that we now die to sin. Sin no longer has power over us. And by the way, kind of as a side note, but important to note, um, I think these verses make a really good case for baptism by immersion. There's a debate in the church on whether or not we should actually be immersed in baptism or if there's sprinkling. And I think clearly here you see this illustration that Paul's using, this idea of being buried in baptism, being, being raised to newness of life. Stepping into the waters of baptism is, many people would say, it just lets everybody know that I'm a Christian, and it does. But it's more than that. It also says that because I'm a Christian, because I'm a follower of Jesus, my old life is now gone. The person that you knew, the circles that I used to run in, the sin that I used to chase after, the desires that I used to have, I'm now dead to those things. The old me is dead and gone, buried with Christ in baptism through the, through the symbol of baptism. Really important to note that Paul's not suggesting, I'm not teaching this morning, that the act of baptism itself is what causes us to be dead to sin, but it is the declaration of that truth. It is what we do to say that because I've trusted in Christ, I also want you to know it's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just I now believe that Jesus exists, it's now I am, I am identifying myself with his death and saying I too am gonna die to my sin. Maybe two illustrations that might help. Baptism is kinda like your passport. It's not what makes you a citizen, but it is often what you point to to show your citizenship. So let's tie this into uh, church membership. You, you think about how, how do you know those that you go to church with every Sunday, how do you know that they truly are followers of Christ? Because there are a lot of people that show up to church who are not necessarily believers in Jesus. One of the best things we have is baptism. That when you go into the waters of baptism, I now get to celebrate with you that you are my brother and sister in Christ because you're publicly declaring that. 
Because I don't see your heart. I don't know for sure if you're saved, but I get to see the fruit of your life, and this is a clear identification. Others have described baptism like a wedding ring. The ring is not what makes you married, but it is a symbol of your commitment to one another. It's something that you can clearly point to to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther used to think of baptism often. He, he wrote about it a lot and just how beautiful it was. And he often said that when he was tempted, what he would think back to was his baptism. And I think for many of us, baptism's like this one-time event. We did it and we move on and we don't think much about it anymore. But he said, that was the moment that I publicly and physically showed what the gospel has done in my life. And so that's what I would think back to, that I'm dead to sin. If I'm being tempted with sin, I need to remember that I was buried with Christ through baptism, that I've been raised to newness of life like we'll talk about in a few minutes. Maybe part of the reason that we have trouble really understanding how important this is um, is, is because of how, how baptism is often celebrated. And I'm, I'm not knocking this. I, actually, I love what happens when we have baptisms. We have celebration. We take pictures. We share. We talk about it. Family and friends come and get to, get to watch this happen and hear the gospel. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I hope that never stops. But... I think about people across the world who the moment of their baptism is the moment that they're cut off from their families because their family has a different religion that now they've publicly declared their faith in Christ and they are, in, in, in some scenarios, even pursued to be put to death because they got baptized. A lot of times in some of these cultures, it's not even necessarily the moment that they say that they're a Christian verbally, it's the moment of baptism because they recognize there's something significant going on here. It's not just something that I do because everybody else did it and the pastor thinks I should, but this is a decision that I'm making to publicly declare my faith to say I'm dead to sin, the old me is dead and gone. One theologian said it this way, the lives of believers are to be as different from their pre-conversion days, their, their uh, pre-Christian days, if you will, as different as life is from death. It should be such a stark contrast. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that you've now got to sell your house and move to a different city and change everything about you, change the way you dress, but your old desires, your old sins, your old passions are gone. You don't chase after that anymore. You're now pursuing after Christ. And none of this means that sin completely ceases, by the way. Don't mistake me for saying that when you're saved and you choose to be baptized, now you can never mess up again. Paul actually goes on in verse six of Romans six and he says, we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's a key word, enslaved to sin. Yes, in our flesh, we still struggle with sin in this life. And it's not until Jesus returns and we, we're with him in the new heavens and new earth with our new bodies that we will no longer struggle with sin but we're no longer enslaved to it. I said again a few weeks ago, I said there's not a single sin in your life or my life that, that ultimately we do not have power over through the gospel, through Jesus. There's not a single sin that you struggle with that you could ever truthfully say if you're in Christ, I cannot overcome this. You're not enslaved by it anymore. It's gone. And baptism signifies that. It's a moment of public declaration. And it's not just a declaration to others. I think it should in part also be significant for us that we think back to it, we remember that I, I stood before my brothers and sisters in Christ and I showed that I was dead to sin. I can't live in it still. I can't continue to chase after something that I've died to. 
Now, this is the part of baptism where we're immersed in water, and we know that the baptism does not end with immersion because if it did, we'd only have probably one baptism and then everybody would shut us down. There's something else. We pull you out of the water, right? And so what does that signify? Number two, Paul says you've been raised to new life. Not only dead to sin, but raised to newness of life. This is an important distinction because it's, it's not just that your old life is gone, but there's a new life that takes its place. It's not just I don't, I don't live that way anymore, but I have a new life that I couldn't walk in before now, and now I can through the power of the gospel in my life. And so he says this in verse four, I'll read it again. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life, newness of life. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we too are raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And, and this is so much more, by the way, too, than just you didn't follow the rules and now you follow the rules. Like all of a sudden I've got a morality change because before Christ I didn't do right and now I'm gonna do right. Yes, you now walk in obedience to Christ, but it's even more than that because just two verses after Paul said that in Ephesians, he says so that, he's done this, he's made us alive together with Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You not only have newness of life where your behavior has changed, but you've now received every spiritual blessing in Christ. You now have been declared righteous and holy. You now have been given redemption and freedom. Everything that you didn't have before, hope, peace, life, joy, you now have been given through Christ Jesus. And he is showing you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think again of the illustration of marriage where there's in the wedding vows when we say, I'm forsaking all others. But it doesn't end there. I'm, I'm not just forsaking all of my old relationships, but I'm also clinging and holding fast to my wife, my husband. I'm not just forsaking all others and saying, you know what, we'll see if this works out, but I'm forsaking those and I'm running to you and only you. And so baptism shows us that I'm forsaking my old sins and now I'm clinging to Christ. This is my new life. The old me is gone, the new has come, as 2 Corinthians 5 says. People often ask a question along these lines of can I be a Christian, can somebody be a Christian and not walk in obedience? Can I be a Christian and my life not change? Now, I could, we could probably take a whole sermon to try to address some of this. Um, I wanna be careful too, because often when that question is asked, it's, we have somebody in mind, whether it's ourself or a family member or a friend who claims to be a Christian and they're not walking in it, and I know there can be a lot of emotions attached to this. But as I read what Paul's saying here and as I read the rest of the New Testament, I see they didn't, they didn't think that it was a possibility. Let me read verse four again. Just think about the connection that Paul makes. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as sure as Christ has been raised from the dead, we too walk in newness of life. So if you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead and you're in him, then you've been raised to newness of life as well. Before Christ, we're unable to walk in righteousness. And that doesn't mean that non-Christians cannot do good things. They can do right things. They can do moral things. 
Oftentimes, sadly, the life of a non-Christian looks a little bit more like what the Bible uh, shows than Christians sometimes. But a non-Christian, somebody who is not united with Christ cannot please God. Paul says it very clearly. There's not a clearer place in Romans 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Not they probably won't, not that be kind of hit or miss, they cannot. Because again, we're spiritually dead apart from Christ. We were dead and have been made alive. We were blind and now see. We were deaf and now hear. I think about it this way. I don't know if you've seen these videos uh, on social media from time to time. Some of my favorite things to watch um, if you're looking for something to make you emotional. Um, I don't know if you seek that kind of stuff out, but sometimes I just need to feel good, right? So uh, these videos of babies who received cochlear implants for the first time, and they were born with uh, a hearing defect or deficiency, and they received these cochlear implants that now allow them to hear for the first time. And in that moment, when they turn that on, and that baby begins to hear, nobody has to say to that baby, even though they wouldn't understand anyway, hey, you can listen now, you can hear now. They do, they just do. It just happens. And all of the sounds come rushing in and their reactions are amazing to watch. But nobody has to tell you to hear. If you're blind and receive sight, nobody has to say, now you need to start seeing. You, you just do. You think of Lazarus, the illustration of Lazarus being raised from the dead. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus didn't say, let me think about whether or not I want to be alive right now. He didn't have the opportunity to do that. He was made alive. The same is true for us when we've been made alive in Christ. You don't, you don't, you don't get uh, converted. You don't repent and believe in the gospel and then go, let me think about whether or not I want to live this way or not. You do. Because your sin is dead and gone. The new has come. He takes out your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And you walk in newness of life. Charles Hodges said this way, we must be reconciled to God in order to be holy. You can't be holy apart from being reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. Yet, we cannot be reconciled without thereby becoming holy. It's impossible to be holy apart from being reconciled to God, but once you are reconciled to God, you are holy in Christ, and you walk in that holiness. Yes, we struggle, we stumble and fall because Christ is continuing to sanctify us, continuing to make us more like himself, but we walk in newness of life. Baptism gives us a, a tangible, physical reminder of what our salvation has done in us. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. I think this is why in the book of Acts, you see people get baptized immediately because they would repent and believe in the gospel and then they would immediately go into the waters of baptism in almost every circumstance that you see because it wasn't an option of, let me, let me think about whether or not I want to commit to this and identify myself with Christ. It was, I am in Christ, let me now publicly declare that through baptism and then let me go and walk in this newness of life. It, it almost even seems to be the pattern that Jesus presents in the Great Commission and I don't, I don't wanna make too much of this but, but, I, but I see a pattern here where Jesus even says in the Great Commission, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey what I've commanded you. That you come to Christ and you immediately respond in obedience to baptism and this is not to say that if you are a Christian and you have not been baptized that you've missed the cutoff point. There's no cutoff point. You can choose to do that at any point. I get that. But I love this pattern that we see, that it is a moment of declaration that from this point forward, I'm walking 
and newness of life, dead to sin, alive to Christ. Often, a lot of this talk about walking in newness of life and living the way that God's asked us to, it's usually met with a rebuttal that goes something like this. Kenny, you're talking a lot about living righteously and and walking in this newness of life and your your sin is dead and gone and it sounds a little bit close to this line of legalism and and, and this religious thing, but Christianity's not a religion, it's a relationship and there's a lot of things I wanna say in response to that. But one of the things that I wanna say is it's actually better than that. I think we're even cheapening it to say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. First of all, James says that there is such a thing as pure religion before God. So religion's not the problem, hypocritical religion is the problem. But it's even more than just a relationship where I talk to Jesus and we have this this relationship. It's even better than that. Paul says it this way in, in verse five of Romans six, if I can find it. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're not, we don't just have a relationship with Jesus, we've been united with Christ. And that's better, that's deeper. That means more, and I wanna show you what it means as we move through with our last point this morning. Union with Christ, yes, it does mean you have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, but it means that his life is your life. It means that his righteousness is your righteousness. His holiness is your holiness. His joy is your joy. It's not just a relationship. We are united with him. Paul says it this way in Galatians 3. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptized into Christ, united with him, and now clothed with Christ. Not just a relationship with him, but now his life is my life. It's, I, don't, I don't live my life anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. And in baptism, being buried in the waters of baptism and raised the newness of life, we're not just presenting a symbol. We are declaring that just as Jesus was buried and, and raised the newness of life, so we too have been united with him. Marcus Peter Johnson said, baptism is the gospel in water, allowing us to experience in our bodies the truth that we are immersed forever into Jesus Christ. Now, union with Christ might sound like a big theological concept that you don't have time for. Let's just talk about a relationship with Jesus and let's not get into all that. But what I hope you'll see today is this is where your hope actually is. Paul Paul said that much in Colossians 1.27 He said to them, to the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's your hope, Christ in you. Not just that you've been forgiven of your sin because if all we received was forgiveness of sin, we would continue to sin and our own righteousness would still not be enough. If all that happened was the slate was wiped clean, then we'd go back out and try it again and fall again. But you're forgiven, past, present, and future, and now Christ is in you. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see your works and your righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So it's not just I got a relationship with Jesus and Jesus, I'm trying to please you. It is because I'm united with Christ, God is pleased with me. And so I walk in that reality and in that truth. The reason that God sees you as righteous is because of your union with Christ. The reason that God loves you and is pleased with you is because of your union with Christ. The reason you have joy is your union with Christ. The reason you can walk in righteousness, the reason that the waters of baptism are so important is because of your union with Christ. This declaration being united with him, this truth is foundational. 
Union with Christ is, is literally all through the New Testament. If you, if you want to see it for yourself, and I, I hope you do look for this, go just find any New Testament letter, especially the ones that Paul wrote, and look for phrases like, in him, through Christ, Christ in me. Look for phrases like that. You'll see it everywhere. I did an exercise one time where I highlighted every one of those phrases in Ephesians, and basically the entire book is nothing but highlights at this point. Because this is literally where our hope is at. This is what, what everything else flows from, is being united with Christ. And what hope that gives me, because it no longer depends on me. It depends on him and his work. And so as I come out of the waters of baptism, not only is, am I refreshed by the waters physically, but my soul is refreshed in knowing that I'm walking in the freedom of union with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you see, we cannot, the first two points don't work apart from the third point. The first two points being dead to sin, alive to Christ. It doesn't work if you don't have union with Christ. You can't die to sin and walk in newness of life apart from being in union with him. And so every single week we come into this place and we hear from the word of God and we talk about how we should be living and then we go home and we try really hard to do it and we end up failing and we wonder, how am I ever gonna figure this out? This is where it's at. Union with Christ, where I recognize that not only was my salvation a work of God, but my sanctification is a work of God too. So Paul says, work out your own salvation. And the very next verse he says, because it's God at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is bringing this about. You're united with him. He started this work in you and he, God has no unfinished products. He will finish it. He will bring it to completion because you've been united with Christ. That's why I love Ephesians 2.10. Paul says, we are his workmanship. And even, even that phrase is beautiful because Paul's not just saying that you as a Christian, as a child of God, are, are God's workmanship. He's saying we are the body of Christ. Together, we are his workmanship, singular. The body of Christ is God's work. He is refining the church. He is, yes, he is calling out individuals, but he's joining us to the body of Christ where his workmanship created and here's that union with Christ, in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're united with Christ, then God has good works for you that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in, and he will walk you through them. And you'll see the newness of life that we get to walk in. And so really, as we begin to, to bring this to a close, we can say ultimately that baptism isn't about us. It's about the glory of Christ. It's about proclaiming Jesus and what he's done. Yes, we, we want to talk about our, our testimonies and what Christ has done in our lives, but ultimately it's for his glory and honor and praise. It's not about whether or not I feel comfortable and want to make the decision for baptism. It is Christ has commended this. His commands are not burdensome. They lead to life, and so I'm gonna walk in this, and I'm gonna step into the waters of baptism. It's commended by Jesus, and yet it's one of the greatest gifts that he's given us. So two, two simple questions. The first one, hopefully obvious enough, have you ever been baptized? Which has two follow-up questions to that because if you say no, then my next question is, have you ever repented and believed in the gospel? Because baptism uh, does not save. Um, it is not the waters of baptism that bring salvation. They signify what Christ has done in us. And so the first step is not baptism. The first step is repentance from sin and trust in Christ for salvation. If you say you haven't been baptized and you are a believer, then I want to 
and I, and I have no desire here to lay an unnecessary burden on anybody other than what the word of God is presenting, but I wanna ask you to consider why not? Why have I not stepped into the waters of baptism? What's preventing me from doing this? This has been, at a base level, commended by Jesus, but also we've been, we've been given the reason for it and the significance of it and the beauty of it. We've been shown what a gift it is. And even as we talk about being a part of the body of Christ last week, what, what a day to be able to stand before your brothers and sisters in Christ and publicly say, I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. I'm your brother, I'm your sister. We are family. That's why we celebrate when somebody comes through the waters of baptism. That's one of the reasons we celebrate. So have you ever been baptized? And if not, are you, have you repented and believed in the gospel Or if you are a believer and you have not, would you ask yourself, would you reflect on why not? And then the second question is, if you are a believer who's been baptized, are you walking in these truths? Are you walking in the newness of life that your baptism represents? Because I think there are some people that have the understanding that you get saved and then you get baptized and then my work is done. My duty is over. I've done what I need to do. Let me just wait until heaven. But baptism is just the beginning. It's it's that first step. It's not your final step, it's a first step in your walk with Christ and walking in obedience with him. And not only does baptism show us our union with Christ, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. So you go through the waters of baptism and you're reminded, I'm not alone in this anymore. I've been baptized into the body of Christ. I'm I'm united with Christ, and I'm united with his body, with his bride, the church. Union with Christ, union with one another. It's a way that we declare to one another our entrance into the family of God, a declaration that we are united with Christ to join arms with one another. So baptism proclaims Christ and unites his body. My final question is, do you need more convincing than that of its importance? My prayer is, is that if there's anybody listening to this who is a believer in Christ and you've never been baptized, my prayer is that you would step into the waters of baptism. And I know that it's uncomfortable and I know that it it seems maybe even weird at times, but men, what a gift has been given to us in baptism. And I've not, again, I've not been up here to lay a burden on anybody other than to present the word of God. My other prayer is that if you are a believer who has been baptized, that you're walking in that reality, that it wasn't just a ritual for you, that it was a declaration, that it was the truth of the gospel that you proclaim that God has transformed you and that you're walking in that newness of life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we, as we pray? I do this every week. Um, I wanna remind you that in these last moments, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just, just to reflect. That's what this time is for. To reflect on what you've heard. To reflect on your own life and to to be intentional about seeing how you are to apply what it is that God has said to you through his word today. Whatever that means for you, however uncomfortable it may make you, because I can promise you, as I've already said, not only are the commands of God not burdensome, but they lead to life. And my prayer is that maybe what God's doing this morning is he's, he's taken this 
the sermon on baptism, this thought of walking in newness of life to point out an area of your life where you're not walking in the newness of life in Christ. My prayer is that you would not be led to guilt that weighs you down, but that you'd be led to repentance that leads to life, that you lay it at the feet of Jesus and remind yourself that you've been united with Christ, that God is pleased with you because of Christ, and you get to confess and know that he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To remember that, I love that passage in 1 John when John said, I'm writing these things so you don't sin, but if you do sin, uh, we have an advocate with the Father. Would you run to him? Don't allow the word of Christ today to burden you to despair, but may you see the freedom of the gospel and run to that today. And so Jesus, we give you this time. I ask that you would take your word, continue to take your word. I believe you've already been doing that this morning, but continue to take your word to to be that double-edged sword that pierces to to joints and, and bone and marrow to get to the deepest part of who we are, to, to expose us before you so that you may bind us up and heal us and show us what life really is. God, I pray this morning for anybody that's heard this today who is a follower of you and they have not been baptized, that they would be led to see the beauty of this truth, that they would be led to see the importance of obeying you in this. And God, may we, all of us, not just those of us who Maybe we need to decide to be baptized, but may we, may we leave our excuses at the door for a radical obedience to you. May we be willing to lay down whatever it is that's preventing us from walking in the newness of life that our baptism represents. And my final prayer today, God, is that as a church, as Mission Way Church, as we continue in ministry and, and prayerfully see more baptisms happen, that we would we would remember the importance of that and the significance of that and that it would be that moment where we rally around each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and we see who our family is and we do this together and we rejoice at your work in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that it's so much more than just a ritual for us, that we see that it's a grace that you've given us, a gift from you. So we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. May we be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So I, I wanna give you uh, something, clearly, clear instruction even coming out of that. If you are uh, somebody who says that you know that you want to be baptized or need to be baptized, would you reach out to myself or one of the elders? Uh, we would love to uh, begin to schedule that um, and get people uh, to do that together and celebrate that day. Um, so please reach out to, to myself or one of the elders. If you, if you need our info, you can find that on the leadership page of the church website. Uh, let me invite you to stand. I got one final announcement, but this is an important one. Um, uh, we have this week, what's happening is we are painting the entire kids' area. But the good news is we're not painting. Uh, we have somebody else coming in to paint. Um, and what, all we need is if you have like 10 minutes to help us in just a few minutes go over to the kids' side and just pull things away from the walls. That's all we need help with is just to move things away from the walls. If you have time, if you don't, that's okay. I'm hungry too, but I'm gonna be here staying around and trying to move things. Um, but I hope you can help us with that um, as we close. Let me say a quick prayer as we are dismissed. God, thank you again for this time. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the family of God and getting to come together and worship you and see one another and, and, and encourage one another today. I pray that you would carry us out in your in your joy, in your peace, in, with our 
with our hearts grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we go. We, we thank you again for this time. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. We hope to see you next Sunday.